0: I was thinking this week, uh, Y2K seems so far away. Uh, you remember that? If you were alive then, we have people here who weren't even born in Y2K. There was this great fear of what would happen when the computer systems all faced the turnover of a century, and it all turned out to be much ado about Nothing. But I say about 2000 because that's when a book called The Tipping Point and how little things, the subtitle, How Little Things Make a Big Difference came out by Malcolm Gladwell who who continues to write provocative and helpful books that, that cross the line really between business and and just general philosophy that I, I recommend him to you. But this book talked about how uh, within the context, uh, catalyst, how sometimes things uh, they, they build up to a point and then something tips them into a, a much bigger thing than they seem to be. Like, uh, how do you explain how some uh, trends go widely spread and some just stay within a small circle of people? How, how do you determine uh, which illnesses out of the many germs and bacterias and viruses actually will spread and cause a lot of chaos, kind of like the Zika virus is going on now, but but we've had lots of those if you've, you've followed the news. And, and <clears throat> when you think about that, it, it really is true. Just those small things can make a huge difference. If water's boiling at 211 degrees, or if it's at 211 degrees, it, it will not boil, but it hits 212, it starts to boil. And likewise, in life, I think sometimes the smallest things make a huge difference. Uh, my family and I, we went to, recently went to Union Station to see this exhibit called Body Worlds, <clears throat> and uh, it's fascinating. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it uh, ethically with what happened there. They, they had people that donated their bodies to science, <clears throat> and they did what they call plastination, uh, and they, they made these bodies, uh, the people donated their bodies, and they made these bodies where you could see how actually all the organs work together. Uh, And it was fascinating, and quite a few times we were able to see a heart. And when you look at a human heart, you see just how small it is in relation to the rest of the body. But where would we be without our hearts? We wouldn't be, would we? Seven to 15 ounces is the average weight of a human heart. Uh, The average person, uh, female 130 pounds, male 175 pounds, you add all that up. It's a very small proportion, the human heart, to the weight of a person. But the heart is absolutely essential. The Bible talks about the heart, but I want you to understand the heart is something different when we read about it in Scripture. The heart in Scripture is the core of the person. The heart really is an intersection, I think, between mind and soul and spirit. And when we see the heart in Scripture, we must understand uh, that this heart, this mind, our thoughts are even smaller than uh, the average weight of a human heart. This small thing, our our minds, our souls, our, our conscience, where our spirit resides, it directs everything. That little thing makes all the difference. Not just a big difference, all the difference. That little thing we call the heart. Well, the Holy Spirit, as we wrap up our series, and and I thank you for all your your kind comments about how it's been helpful for you. I want to to end today kind of in a sober way. I want to end today with us understanding that, that our hearts can get to a place where the Holy Spirit can't work within us. We're going to look at an old story, but a powerful, profound story. And its context is really kind of given to us uh, poetically. The aftermath of it is displayed to us in Psalm 51. It's a psalm by David. And I think it really talks about the heart surgery that God needs to do on each one of us. How God needs us, each of us to surrender our hearts to surrender our minds, to surrender uh, that place deep inside of us. Because until God changes that place, uh, our lives are going to be a mess. Until God changes that place, the, the negative consequences of sin are going to be evident in our lives. God wants to do a work in us, but, but He needs our participation, us to allow Him to bring that about. You know, there are three conditions of a healthy heart, I, I think, alluded to by this psalm. There are three conditions, and the first is a broken heart, a broken heart. We read about, kind of like the conclusion, a, a big request from David in Psalm 51, 10 and 11. <clears throat> he says, you might know these words, some of the most famous words from, from the psalms, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now what's he talking about? If you read the inscription. uh, Or the prescription before this psalm. In the Bible. It says for the director of music. A psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him. After David had committed adultery. With Bathsheba. Now David was a remarkable person. Talked about. In other places as a man after God's own heart. In fact, David surplanted Saul. Saul who was the first king of Israel. After the people had demanded a king, Saul was that king. And Saul, for a time, was exactly what they needed. But, but Saul allowed his heart to wander. And it actually says to us, <clears throat> and we'll read about it later, that, that God took his spirit away from Saul. And, and so here... We understand and, and we see that David is concerned about the same thing. Why? Because of what happens, and you can read about it in Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel chapter sixteen. Or excuse me, chapter uh, eleven. In Second Samuel chapter eleven, you hear this story. David, it seems, was in the spring of the year, not with his army. He, con- he consistently went and led his armies into battle. But for whatever reason, this spring, he was not in battle with his army. So he was back in the palace. Maybe it was because he had affairs of the state to attend to. Maybe it was because he just was uh, taking a time out. Maybe it was because he was bored or disappointed or depressed. So oftentimes, it's in those weakest moments uh, that temptation comes upon us and and we actually get in. Well, that's what's going to happen. You follow on in that story. It seems in the evening, uh, David was walking on the roof. They had flat roofs then. He was walking on the roof, getting some air, and and he looks across, and he sees a woman bathing, a beautiful woman, her name Bathsheba. Now, for the king in that time, uh, the king could pretty much do whatever he wanted. And if this woman, Bathsheba, uh, if she was unmarried, it would be acceptable in those times for the king uh, to lay with that woman. But she was married. She was married to a man, an army man named Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah was off in the battles, in the armies, uh, the army fields where David should have been. But David sees this woman, and because of that state, that state of, of weakness, that state of of being not close with the Lord as he had been, he asked that woman, he sends messengers to her and asks her to come to him and and they lay together. Well, as sin often does, the consequences come out. Sometimes it takes a little while. A short time later, Bathsheba sends a messenger to David and she says, I'm pregnant. Well, David, as sinners often do, he He panics, and then he starts thinking about a cover-up. And so he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He he thinks, if I get Uriah home here pretty quick, uh, then when Bathsheba's revealed to be pregnant, as it shows, then then it could be possible that it actually was Uriah's son and not mine. So he he brings Uriah back, and he says, I want you to go home and, and wash your feet, is how he puts it in the Hebrew. Wash your feet is a euphemism for go home and relax, go home and be with your wife. Well, the next day he talks to Uriah, Uriah says, no, I didn't go home because I felt terrible being here in luxury, here in the comforts of home when my army, when my fellow soldiers were out in the field, I could not go home, I could not enjoy myself while I should be in battle. And David plan his cover up is thwarted so then he comes upon a second more devious evil plan he sends word to Joab the leader of his army and he says I want you to put Uriah in the front lines in the battle against the Ammonites I want you to put him in the front lines and have uh, the rest of the army pull back basically ensuring that Uriah the Hittite would be killed in battle all to cover up his weakness his sin and so David this great king David this boy who had been brought up and and anointed by God to be the king of the people of God had now committed adultery and virtually murder he sinned greatly so you understand now why he writes verses 10 and 11. You understand now why he needs for God to create in him a pure heart. Why he needs God's renewal, his revival, a steadfast spirit. For why he fears that God would cast him from his presence. Why he fears that God would take the Holy Spirit from him. Sin... Can be covered up for a time, but it always brings a broken heart. And it's actually healthy for us to understand the consequences. It's healthy for us to experience that broken heart because the broken heart leads to repentance. It seems as if his plea for repentance is real, is sincere, is authentic. We find it to be so. If you read closely all of chapter 51, the second condition we have to have for the Holy Spirit to be living and active, for be blessing us and be blessing others through us, the second conditions of a healthy heart for the Christian is an honest heart. An honest heart. That is, we understand that in God's sight, uh, that's the true measure of a person. You see, we can change our outward appearance our outward appearance can be holy, appear to be holy and, and just and God-pleasing, but God sees the inner appearance. That's what First Samuel 16, 7 says to us. and In this, we understand that God has to do some work for all of us are weak. The Bible says that Jesus was unique in his human life and that he was tempted like all people are, yet he sinned not. Uh, of every one of us, it could be said, we are tempted and we have sin. We need to be honest before God. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The one who conceals their sins does not prosper, but one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We actually have to, to come to grips with those things. We have to, to deal with those things. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. David got that. So he brings these sins before God and, and then he lays them out before him. Notice, I'm going to read for you the first 12 verses of Psalm 51. Notice how many times you see this heartfelt recognition, this heartfelt ownership of his, of his sin have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. What is sin? Sin is not doing what God wants us to do. a Sin of omission. Or it's doing the things that God doesn't want us to do. The sins of commission. In this case, David's great sins are sins of commission. Adultery and murder. Now by the way... In the Old Testament, the punishment for adultery was stoning, death by stoning. And murder also carried a capital penalty. But because David was the king, he was not adjudicated as such. But in a way, he felt the same punishment. He saw this being a turning point. As you think about your life and and as you make yourself Open to God's sight and and not necessarily uh, the, the appearance and the reputation you have around others. You need to hear that God needs us to come to grips with those things. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. That's another word for sin. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that sacred place or secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's when we hit bottom. It's when we get honest and real before God that then God can do his amazing work. And God, uh, David has this, this fervent, this urgent plea that leads to that third condition, a hopeful heart, a hopeful heart. Sometimes people will say to me, do you think God can forgive me for this as we meet in my office or in their home, as they uh, share their challenges, their burdens with me? The Bible tells me there's only one unforgivable sin And that's blasphemy against the Spirit. What I take that to mean is a direct, outright rejection against God from someone who before claimed to be for God, a believer in God. That is, uh, someone who curses God openly. All other sins, according to my reading of Scripture, can be forgiven. And, And so when we ask this question... We know the answer can be affirmative. So then what is he actually asking? Now we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. You understood if you've been here that that you receive the Holy Spirit, the Christian does, uh, when you believe in Jesus, when you confess your sins and repent for the first time, when you uh, call on the name of the Lord to be saved and are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit's presence in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived in the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, it tells us that each one of us become temples of the Holy Spirit. So what exactly is he asking when he says in verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me? I think he's saying this. God, I have done things my way. I've, I've not paid attention to your Spirit, and I made a mess of it. And I will tell you that principle is absolutely true. I think the Holy Spirit is in you after you've become a Christian, even if you do terrible things like murder someone or commit adultery with someone. But what you've done is is you've kind of, as we've talked about, quenched the Spirit. You've, You've grieved the Spirit. You've put the Spirit in the back seat. And that very much can happen. No doubt David was thinking about what happened with Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord had been on Saul as he rose up in power as he became king of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord had blessed the nation of Israel through Saul. But Saul became rebellious. Saul wandered away from the Lord. Saul started thinking he could do it himself. And so the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And an evil spirit from the Lord came to torment him. That is, he faced the consequences of his sin. So also, that can happen. But you know what I think? I think small sins are often more dangerous than the big ones. The big ones like adultery and murder like David faced. Those big sins often, uh, the, the consequences are startling. They're, they're big and splashy. But I want to encourage you today to... To not think this sermon is just for those big sins. It's not for those big collapses spiritually. Big sins, they startle us into repentance, but just like the proverbial frog in the, the boiling water, we may gradually become so used to sin that it ceases to bother us at all. That's what I think is the danger here today as I talk about these things, is, is that we, we pass these over because we become relative about our sin. You know, if that happens long enough, when it finally does bother us, uh, we're too far gone to do anything about it. You know, I, I, I never want to have a hard heart. I never want to have a blasé heart toward God. I spent years of my life doing whatever I wanted and not having much of a conscience about it. But I would greatly choose a life that's sensitive uh, to the, the life and the, the pleasure of God. And I tell you, that's made me more aware of sin. It's made me more aware of temptation. It's made me more aware of my failings, of my imperfections. And it's made me determined uh, to spend time daily before the Lord. I encourage you to do that. Many small sins, they may produce a worse effect than one big sin. Because we don't ever deal with them. Spurgeon said, little ants will devour our carcass as surely and speedily as a lion. Think about that. Little ants, an army of ants will devour our carcass as surely and steadily and speedily as a lion. Let me ask you some questions. Have we taken God's grace for granted? Has our love for God grown cold? Are we careless about prayer? Have we slowly grown lukewarm in our Christian faith? Do we love the world too much? Have we been lazy in the Lord's service? Do we harbor a root of bitterness? Do we let resentment linger? Have we spoken unkindly of other Christians? Have we been careless with our words? Have we become spiritually lukewarm or cold? Those are daunting questions, which lead me to two important questions I want you to wrestle with. Now, I want to say to you, God's desire is to, through His Spirit, make you hot and loving and honest and effective and productive, but it takes us allowing Him to do His surgery in our lives, in our hearts The first question I have for you is how clean is your heart in God's sight? I'm not talking about what everybody else knows. I'm talking about how clean is your heart? How clean is your temple where God's spirit lives? How much is God's spirit in control of your life? And the second question is related and also important because corporately we bring our lives our ministries, our walks together as a church, Northside Christian Church. How clean is our church's heart in God's sight? As God brings us success, and by most standards, we have been blessed here. We have been successful. I tell you, it is hollow if we hide dirt, if we hide mediocrity. If we, in worldly terms, are successful, yet not pure and faithful to God, surely our sins will find us out. So I want to think for a moment about our hearts. Do you remember a short story by Edgar Allan Poe called The Telltale Heart? After committing murder, uh, the main character dismembers the body and buries it under the wooden planks on the floor. He does such a good job, but then the police come to investigate. He invites them in and even aids them in the search. He's so confident that he has covered up his crime. But the murderer is psychologically unable to escape the haunting guilt of his deed. And isn't that how it happens? Isn't that how our conscience wears on us when, when we've, we've done things that the Lord wouldn't be pleased with? he begins to hear the heartbeat of his dead victim. A cold sweat goes over him as the heartbeat goes on and on, relentlessly getting louder and louder. In fact, the, show, uh, the story repeats those words. Poe writes those words quite a few times in the story. Louder, louder, louder. Why can't the officers hear the sound of the beating heart? That villain wonders. It begins to drive him crazy insane finally in desperation to make the sound goes away he calls the police to and says I did it it actually says it this way villains I shrieked Dissemble no more I admit the deed tear up the planks here here it is the beating of this hideous heart but the pounding which drove the man mad was not in the grave below but in his own chest Powerful is guilt. More powerful is the forgiveness of God. I say this to you today. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you His Holy Spirit to be a blessing to you and a blessing through you. But He's not going to force Himself on you. You have the choice to come clean before Him. Like David to say, created me a pure heart. Oh God, today as you respond to the message, it's very well for it to be there. Maybe some have a public decision made to become a Christian or, or join us formally, but most of us, I think, it'll happen right here in this this place. I want you to to come clean. For God, and it probably needs to be a weekly endeavor, and then another week, and another week. But God loves you, and He wants to bring you the freedom, the peace of forgiveness. If we will confess and repent, He is faithful and just to forgive, and His Holy Spirit will gratefully. Live in and through us. Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that maybe it has been uncomfortable. You've stirred up recognition. You've stirred up guilt within us. Help us to repent, to truly repent here. Help us to confess. We see in David this Psalm 51, what an example of confession and repentance help our hearts to be broken help our hearts to be honest help our hearts to be hopeful we pray and we trust in you in Jesus name amen